Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. We are in the final conclusion of our uh, series called Eternity is Real. Say, Eternity is Real. Now, if you're visiting today, you're coming on the culmination and the climax of the series. And so it's important that if you need context, you're going to need to go back and listen a little bit. But what we've talked about up to this point in our very first week of this series, we looked at the idea that heaven and hell, we have a very interesting perspective of eternity. And often we gained a lot of our, our understanding of what eternity is all about from uh, secular people or secular individuals who don't necessarily read the Bible. And it's actually impacted how we see the afterlife. And so the first week we talked about how followers of Christ and people need to wake up and realize that heaven and hell are real places, that eternity is real, that the afterlife is real, and that we need to remember that as followers of Jesus Christ, we must place our eyes on the realities of heaven rather than on the things of this earth. And the second week, we talked about this earth. We talked about how each and every one of us, no matter how fulfilled you are in life, uh, have a dissatisfaction, a frustration. You have, uh, no matter if you're married or you have kids or maybe you've got that nice house on, on the lake, it doesn't matter what happens in life, nothing can fully satisfy us. We are always sensing this sense of frustration in our lives. And the reason is, is because God put a place for eternity in our heart that can only be filled when we spend an eternity with Christ in heaven. And so there's frustration, there's dissatisfaction, there's confusion. You say, why, Ryan? Why do I have this? It's because God wants you to, to know that heaven is your home, eternity is real, and that this earth is only temporary. Last week, we talked about what happens when I die. When I die and leave this planet, we talked about what heaven and hell look like. We talked about the realities of heaven, the realities of hell. We talked about what, that intermediate place that you and I will go right now if we die. What each of those environments look like uh, in scripture. And today, what we're going to talk about, and this is a great day to come to church, what happens when the world comes to an end. Hallelujah. <laughs> Now, what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to tell you that it's going to end on October 14th, 2024, and ask you to bank out your, your gold and your silver and all your checking account and give it to the church because the world's ending soon and we need to prepare. And then October 14th rolls on by, and here we are, wealthier than we were the day before. No, I'm not going to use the idea of trying to tell you when it's going to happen because here's the truth. I don't know, and neither do you, so be quiet. We don't know when the world's going to end. We don't understand when the world's going to happen. You can spend all your life trying to interpret the nuances of the book of Revelation. And I want to tell you, if you think you've got to figure it out, you don't. So be quiet. The reality is, Scripture says that even though Jesus said, even I don't know the time, only the Father does. And so what we're going to talk about today is what happens when the world ends. We're going to talk about when this whole thing goes away, what happens next? What I'm going to teach you from is from the Bible. 
This isn't conjecture. Now you'll see today, and I'm going to take my liberties today as we end this series. There's a lot of scripture we're going to read today. We're going to read a lot of different things today. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down because I'm going to teach you today. And the goal of today isn't for me to entertain you with my preaching or teaching. The goal of today is to simply give you a biblical understanding of what happens when the world ends so that you can leave today and say, I have a better understanding of the afterlife. I have a better understanding of what happens when the world ends. I have a better understanding of what's going to happen. And now I can know why I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ because he doesn't just benefit me on this planet. It isn't just an abundant life that I experience on this planet, but in the world to come, there is actual eternal impact to how you live your life on this planet. And so what happens when the world ends? Well, the reality is that you and I are in the last days. This has been said for over 2,000 years, but Scripture shows us in 1 Peter 1.20 in Revelations chapter 22, Peter said, God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but he has now revealed him to you in these last days. Jesus said, he who testifies to these things, Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon. And so Ryan, what does that mean we're in the last days? It's called the, the, the already, but not yet. That we're in the kingdom of God, we're in the, the, the coming of the kingdom of God, but obviously, as you know, the kingdom of God has not come yet. And the last days means this, it's the, when the present course of history will come to an end and Jesus will return for his people. Plainly put, Jesus, God already came to earth, he walked on the earth, he died, he was buried, he rose on the third day, he now sits at the right hand of the Father, and Jesus will return once again for his church. He will return for those who've made a confession to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And Christ will return for those people. And here's what we know, as I told you, we do not know when this will happen. Jesus said it. He told them, you don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business, not yours. So mind your business. But listen to this. We don't know when, but we do know this. Listen, the end of time will be quick and it will be cataclysmic. I want to tell you today, there are a lot of people trying to get you to prepare. Prepare your bunker. Prepare your time. Prepare your, your you know, get, get yourself ready in the woods with so, so I can't say that word. Sonar? Solar? Solar. My goodness. The first service, it was like I tried like 18 times. Solar. All right? Okay. Not that I'm against solar panels, but I'm just saying being off in the middle of the jungle and, you know, eat, eating off the land, which is fine if you want to do that. But the truth is the, the Bible teaches us very clearly. You cannot prepare yourself for the end of time. There is, there's nothing you can do. Why? Because it happens like that, like a thief in the night. It comes instantly. It comes quickly. When you are unprepared for it, you will not know. It'll just happen right now. No, just worry. It didn't happen. It's okay. Now, <laughs> look what the scripture says in 2 Peter chapter 3. It says this, the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. That word noise means a roar, great and loud noise, thunderous crash. 
and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Second Peter verse 12, 3 verse 12, on that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. Woo-wee. And so when this happens, it'll be quick. It'll be cataclysmic. The sky and everything in the sky, the planets, the orbit, the, or, or the, the universe, the sun, the, the, the heavens as we call them, will melt away. There will be a loud noise. Will, the, the elements will disappear. And the scripture says, but we are looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth that he promised a, word, a world filled, say filled, with God's righteousness. And so it says it will happen quickly. It'll be cataclysmic. But we as followers of Jesus are looking forward to the fact we have hope to know that there is a new heaven and there is a new earth that God promises for those who have chosen to make Jesus Christ the Lord of their life. We see this new heavens is going to be filled with, the, with God's righteousness. As scripture teaches, it'll be a new Jerusalem. A restoration of God's holy city on the earth will be a new Jerusalem. It'll be a place of perfect holiness. A place where believers, those whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life, will dwell forever. Look what the scripture continues in 2 Peter 3. He says this, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God. Look at this, hurrying it along. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. He says, listen, God's saying, listen, I don't want this destruction to come upon people. I want people to know me. I want people to experience a relationship with me. I want people to spend an eternity with me. And so God is patiently enduring the rejection and the sinfulness of this world. And he says in the scripture that you and I should look forward to that day, hurrying it along. What does that mean? Preaching the gospel, sharing our faith, serving people, making our life matter for the kingdom of God, making our life matter for the call of God, building the, call, building the house of God, building the kingdom of God, sharing our faith, telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ, hurrying this along. Why? Because God is patiently waiting that all people might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's patiently waiting. So when the old world ends, the scripture teaches us, this is all from the Bible. When the old world ends and it all goes, the Bible teaches that there is a, now we talked about this last week. This week we'll talk about the judgment of works. Now listen, I tried to find a synonym for the word judgment that would be better and it just best says it. So just, just hang on with me here. Last week we talked about how when you, for you and I to go to heaven, it's not by works, it's by faith in Jesus. That Jesus died on a cross. He offered relationship with you. He died for you. You can have a relationship with him today simply by confessing that Jesus Christ is God and that he's the Lord of your life and then you believe he died on the cross and rose on the third day. The Bible says you're going to spend an eternity with him. So when we experience the judgment of faith, as we talked about last week, we are, uh, we are uh, permitted access to heaven based upon our relationship and our faith in Jesus. But when the world ends, there is another judgment that comes that is a judgment based on works. 
Now, not judgment based upon whether or not you're a good person, not judgment based upon whether or not you uh, do good things or whether or not you go to church or whether or not you give your money away or I'm just a good person. No, no, no. Not the judgment based upon whether you're good or not. Judgment based upon what you have done with the call of God on your life. What have you done with the kingdom of God that has been given to you? How have you stewarded the call of God on your life? How have you stewarded the salvation and the grace and the love and the mercy that God has given you? And I, I have to, I wish I could take this out of the Bible, but my responsibility is not to teach my opinion. There are a lot of pastors in churches today that are beginning to teach that there is no judgment and there is no hell and everyone will go to heaven. And I'm telling you today, that is false. That is not true. And what I'm telling you today is what the Bible teaches. And I don't like it any more than you do. I wish we could all just go to heaven and everything would just be happy dory honky dory pumpkins and pie in the sky i wish that was the reality but the reality is this the bible teaches us that none of us can can avoid the judgment of works what the scripture says second corinthians chapter five so whether we are here in the body or away from this body our goal is to please him for we must all say all for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in the earthly body. Mark 16, 27, Jesus talking. For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all, say all, judge all people according to their deeds. Romans 2, 6, and 7. He will judge everyone, say everyone according to what they have done he will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers Romans 2 8 but and I don't like this scripture but he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves who refuse to obey the truth and instead live a life of wickedness away from God I don't like that scripture I could very easily not put that on the slide, but I would not be giving you the complete truth. That when the world ends, every single person on the planet will stand before God and take an account. I, I, I tried, I, I, I shared my faith with you. I, I showed you creation. I died for you. I extended my love for you. I've forgiven you. Everything I have is yours. All you have to do is receive it. You can no longer live for yourself. You can no longer live for the way you want to do things or the way you want to live your life. We have to lay our, down our lives and take up our cross and repent of our sin and turn to Jesus because this is what I found out after 41 years of living in sin's prison. God's way is so much better. God's way is better than my anger and better than my addiction and better than my hardship and better than my selfishness. Oh my gosh, all that leads to drama. But when I serve God, guess what? I ain't got no drama. There's no Jerry Springer in my life. Do I have problems? Sure. Do I have issues? Yep. Do I have shortcomings? Uh-huh. But how I deal with them changes. Why? I've given my life to Jesus. Scripture teaches us that there is this final judgment. And what it's called is the great white throne. 
Revelation teaches us this in Revelation chapter 20. And I saw a great white throne and him sitting on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and a place was not found for them. And I saw the dead, the small and the great stand before God and book, look at books were open. Notice plural books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. So we've got, we've got multiple books, one book, which is the book of life where the names of those who've chosen to follow Christ will be written. And then other books, which which will interpret, say, this is what this person did with the call of God on their life. This is what this person did to expand the kingdom of God. This is what the person did, and they will be rewarded according to their life. The reality is this, that the life that we live on this planet will die with us, but the life that we will live in eternity will be forever and ever and ever and ever, and how your future life looks will be impacted by how you live your life on this earth. And so we see very clearly that our heart, the heart is to, to please the Lord. We continue the scripture says, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in these books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead in it and the death and hell delivered up the dead in them. And each one of them was judged according to their works and death and hell, which was the first death, the, the original death when we die and hell, which were the intermediate hell right now, the present hell that we have right now was all thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And if anyone was not found having been written in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. Now, this is the reality of scripture. And I, don't worry, we're, we're not gonna spend a whole lot of time on this. We'll get into the heaven part. So we'll end on a really high note. But I have to take the time to tell you about this fact that we all have a divine appointment with our creator. We all will stand and take account for the life that we've lived on this planet. And is it a life that is surrendered in serving God or is it a life that is surrendered in serving ourselves? And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people and he will come again. Listen, this is for followers of Christ not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation. So the judgment that a follower of Christ will face, he doesn't look at your life and say, oh man, he doesn't look at your mistakes and the sins and the shortcomings and the failures. This judgment or this measuring is not based upon how bad you've been. It's based upon, hey, what have you done with the talents that I've given you? What have you done with the calling that I've given you? What have you done with the things that I've given you? What have you done with this life? And the reality is this, that you and I will stand before the Lord. We will stand before God. We will take an account for the reality of these things. And we will have a judgment of works. And we will stand before God and we will take an account. But followers of Jesus will not have to deal with the sins of our past, but simply what did we do with the salvation that God gave us in our lives? We see here in the scripture, this idea of the new heaven and the new earth. What we have in scripture is it shows us truly that you and I have a judgment, but the reality is this, Christ has died for our sins and taken away the sins of the world. Look what the scripture says, Isaiah 43, 25, on your right, 
I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake, and I will never think of them again. It's like this. Just have a little fun with me for a minute. Let's just pretend for a moment the world ends, and we're coming to the great right throne, and I step up to the line. Okay, here we go. And there's God. I'm looking Jesus and right in front of him, and his secretary comes up and says, um, this is Ryan Iverson. He's like, I know who this is. It comes up and says, I have, I have his file here. Jesus, let me see that. And Jesus lifts the, the file up, and it's a file that says, it says, Ryan's sin file. Shortcomings, failures, and mistakes. And I, I had to stop there because it gets discouraging. So I, <laughs> and I had to stand before the Lord and say, okay, Jesus. And he says, okay, Ryan. Let's see, Let, let's look at this. He goes, man, you've lived quite the life. Now, I could have put more paper in here and I was going to be a big stack because I have a lot of sin. But I mean, so this is more like Vince's, you know, file. <laughs> but my file's pretty big. Or here's Ryan's sin file. And what he does is he opens it and says, wow, Ryan, you've really lived an adventurous little life here. A lot of things you've done. Hmm. But let me show you something, Ryan. He goes, this is all this sin, but this is all I see. <laughs> it's been washed whiter than snow. So even though God knows I'm a sinner, look at all the paper. Even though God knows I've got shortcomings and failures and I'm a mistake and I screw up so much. Even to the day that I died, I was still sinning. Praise God. <laughs> Every single sin that was confessed to the Lord was washed whiter than snow. And when God looks at it, he does not see my sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which means everything that I've done on this planet, every mistake is washed whiter than snow. And he will say to me, Ryan, I know you lived a past of mistakes and hardship, but I want you to know it's been washed clean. He'll say, come into my glory, my son. Good job, my good Good and faithful servant. Every one of us has a file. But those who choose to follow Christ, the file has been washed clean. And you will stand before the Lord and you will take account not for the wrong you've done, but what you've done with the gift that he's given you of salvation. We realize that this righteousness that's been given to us Look what it says in 2 Timothy 4.8. It says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord. He's the crown of righteousness. He's the righteous judge. Look at this. He will award me on that day. <laughs> Not only to me, but to, to all who have longed for his appearing. There will be a reward. Why? Because I have chosen to give my entire life to Christ. I'm going to live every waking moment for God. Guess what happens when I get to heaven? He's going to look me in the eyes and say, Oh, son, good job, my good and faithful servant. Hey, everybody, let's go check out Ryan's mansion. Let's go check out Ryan's. Man, Ryan, come let me show you the house I have for you and the, the land I have for you. All your friends are there. All your family are there. Oh, look at the responsibilities I have for you. Ryan, look at the joy I have for you. Come into my glory, son, and experience everything that I have planned for you since the foundation of the world. It is yours. Why? Because I made a personal decision to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. You say, Ryan, how do I know 
I'm so afraid. What if, what, what if, I'm, what, what if I don't know if I'm going to be judged correctly? Or, well, how do I know? Look what the scripture says, 1 John. So we all will, we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. We can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. You see, Ryan, how do I know? How do I know I'm going to make it? How do I know I'm going to make it through this? You just live like Jesus. Choose to live a life for him. Amen. Look what the Puritan preacher said, Jonathan Edwards. It comes us to spend this life only as a journey toward heaven to which we should subordinate all the other concerns of life. Why would we labor for or set our hearts on anything else but that which is our proper end and true happiness? He says this, I have resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can. Now, here's what happens when there is a judgment for those who do not confess Christ as their Lord and Savior. It says in the scripture that anyone who is not found having them written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. And you might see this as like a, a lake that's on fire, as it says, literally. But actually, this is a place that the scripture, that Jesus defined this as the word Gehenna. Gehenna was uh, a place outside of Jerusalem. King Cyrus, uh, it was uh, a place described where they would burn garbage perpetually. It was a garbage dump where they would burn it. It was actually a place where the people of Israel would do uh, child sacrifice to other gods. So this was a picture. Gehenna was a picture of a perpetual place where there's burning and there's darkness and there's difficulty. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on hell today. You can look, listen last week. But here I'll tell you this. Hell is, is, is I would say, very similar to the ideas of earth in that there are people, there's establishments, there's, there's structures, there's life there. There's life in that there's people being, there are beings that are there, but they are separated from God. It is, it, they are sad and there's, there's, uh, there's uh, no joy and no peace and no satisfaction. And this place will be perpetual. It will be non stop forever and ever and ever. There are preachers and teachers today that are trying to teach us that this will end one day. I want you to know the Bible does not teach that. So there is a lake of fire, Gehenna. But let's talk about heaven. Praise God. Woo. Amen. Look what the heaven says. Revelations 21, 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for old order of things has passed away. This is the climax of everything that God intended from the very creation of the world. He intended in Eden that this would be the reality. But here we are with the new climax of heaven. The new heaven and the new earth will be inexplainably wonderful. A place that was created by God for his enjoyment with his creation. It's a place of God God's dwelling. It's a place of God's enjoyment. It's a place where there is no sickness. There is no disease. There is no death. There is no tears. There is no pain. There is no suffering. A place of God's rejoicing. It's a place where we will be with our resurrected bodies finally freed from sin and shame and everything that hinders us on this planet from experiencing true joy and true fulfillment. It'll be a restoration of what God intended. Look what Randy Alcorn says multiple times. We're going to read here for a few moments. Look at this. As human beings, we long for home, even as we step out to explore undiscovered new frontiers. We long for familiarity of the old. Think, uh, even as we crave the innovation of the new. 
Think of all the things we love that are new, moving into a new house and the smell of a new car, the feel of a new book, a new movie, a new song, the pleasure of our new friend, the enjoyment of a new pet, new presents on Christmas, staying in a nice hotel room, arriving at a new school or a new workplace, welcoming a new child or grandchild, eating new foods that suit our taste. We love newness, yet in each case, what is new is attached to something familiar. Why? We don't really like things that are utterly foreign to us. Instead, we appreciate fresh and innovative uh, varieties on things that we already know and love. So when we hear that in heaven we will have new bodies and live on a new earth, that's how we should understand the world. New, a restored and perfected version of our familiar bodies and our familiar earth and our familiar relationships. He continues, this world, including its natural wonders, gives us a foretaste and glimpse of the next, uh, the next world. These people around you, including ourselves, gives us foretaste of glimpses of the new people to come. This life, including its culture, gives us foretaste and glimpses of this next life. And when I'm eating with people here, enjoying food and friendship, it's a bridge to when I will be eating there, enjoying food and friendship. Every joy on earth, including the joy of, 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 of reunion, is an inkling, a whisper of a greater joy. The Grand Canyon, the Alps, the Amazon, rainforest, the Serengeti Plain, these are rough sketches of the new earth. One day we may say, as a character and one of my novels said, the best parts of the old world were sneak previews of this one. Like little foretaste, the, the, like licking the spoon from mama's beef stew an hour before supper. As all our lives, we've been dreaming of the new earth. Whenever we see beauty in the water, a wind, flower, deer, men, women, child, we catch a glimpse of heaven. Just like the Garden of Eden, the new earth will be a place of sensory delight, breathtaking beauty, satisfying relationships and personal joy. Each beep beat beach you've walked on, every mountain you've climbed, every jungle you've pressed through will be the same but new. The Bible teaches us that, that the earth is like or new heaven and new earth will be like country and, and like city. Hebrews 11 says this in verse 16, it's instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he's prepared a city for them. When you think about the country, we think about the idea of it being a large territory with, with various geographies and various cultures and various languages. And we think about the city and without the, the, the disadvantages of the city, but where there's natural wonders and magnificent architecture and thriving culture, but there'll be no crime and no pollution, and no drugs and no, no, no difficulty. And imagine sitting down to eat and raising a glass, toasting the king will be glorified in every pleasure that we enjoy. Randy Alcorn continues, heaven is a place of great beauty, both natural created beauty and architecture, including streets of gold and buildings of pearls and emeralds and precious stones. Heaven will have the advantages we associate with earthly cities without the disadvantages of crime and pollution and corruption. Heaven's gates are always open. People will travel in and out, some bringing treasures into the city. Travel outside the city and show, uh, the, the travel outside the city shows that the the city is not the, the whole of heaven, but merely its center. The great city is a capital of an endless empire called a heavenly country. There's a universe outside the city's gates to which its citizens have free access. What will we be like in heaven? Well, we will, be, uh, we will have human bodies in human form. Jesus said this. When Jesus rose from the dead, his resurrected body, look what he said. Touch me. Make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies. As you see, I have a body. We'll have resurrected bodies. 
And Joni Erickson Tata, quadriplegic, wrote a book and she said this. She said, I can still hardly believe it. I, with shriveled hand, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no filling from shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone with spinal cord injury like me? Or someone who is a cerebral palsy, brain injured, or who has multiple sclerosis. Imagine the hope of, to give someone who is a manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. We will have new bodies. Our names on earth will be the same names that we have in heaven. Remember in Luke chapter uh, 16, when Jesus talked about the story of heaven and earth, he talked about the, 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 the rich man who was in hell. He didn't have a name. His name was Rich. He was referred to him as his, he was a rich man. But when he looked at heaven, he saw Abraham and Lazarus. They carried their names over to, uh, to, this, the, the, to, to heaven. And our, our identities are, we, we will be unique individuals with identities from earth. C.S. Lewis says it like this, your place in heaven will seem to be made for you and you alone because you were made for it, made for it stitch by stitch as a glove is made for a hand. Randy Alcorn says this, what makes you, you. Not only your, your looks or your body, but also your memory, your personality traits, your gifts, your passions, your preferences and interests. In the final resurrection, I believe all of these facets will be restored and amplified, untarnished by, its, by sin and the curse. And do you remember a time when you really felt good about yourself? Not in pride or arrogance, but when you sensed you honored God, helped the needy, were faithful, humble, and servant-hearted like Jesus. Do you remember when you encouraged someone or when you experienced who you were meant to be, when you were running or swimming or working out, and you felt you were strong enough to go on forever, even though you're, uh, you're uh, even, uh, where does it say that? Even though later you could hardly get out of bed, that was a little taste of who you'll be in heaven. We will be highly emotional people. God was emotional in the Bible. God enjoyed. He laughed. He took delight. He rejoiced. He was angry. He was happy. He was jealous. He was glad. Right now, our emotions are a distortion of God's because we are made in the, in the image of God. So every emotion that you have, even though distorted and under the curse of the fall of man, was actually how God created you. All the emotions you have are the same emotions that God has. But in heaven, God will wipe away every tear. You won't have tears because you're in pain or hardship or persecution. You'll be in tears because of joy and laughter. I've never had a prime rib so good. I've never tasted a cab seven y'all like this. I've never experienced the realities of earth and the beauties of the sky and the mountains. Oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. You will shed tears of joy and shed tears of laughter. We will have an intimate God, the relationship with each other without fear, without manipulation, without inadequacy. We'll be eager to hear one another's stories. I say this often, but whenever I sit around a table and I've got people around our table and we're eating and drinking a good meal, I say, you know, this is going to be like heaven one day. I'm going to have you over to my house and say, hey, hey, Joel, come on over, brother. Come over and see my beautiful home and eat with me. Enjoy this time with me. And I'll invite you all over. Hey, remember the time we went to church together on the earth? Wasn't that amazing? 
Didn't you love that season? Didn't you love that time? We'll get together and we'll hear the stories of Abraham and Paul. And we hear the stories of Simeon and the disciples. And we get to sit down with them and hear them. All these amazing people across the world that have given their lives to serve the Lord and expanded the kingdom of God. That you have no idea who they are. They were walking around. You'll say, who is that? Oh, that's the guy who you knew nothing about, but he planted a billion churches across the world. And no one ever knew his name. He wasn't on social media. He didn't dress cool. He didn't look cool. He didn't write a book. He just served the Lord faithfully with a good heart. He is rewarded in heaven. Come and joy in my house. You and I will have desires, not unholy desires. Everything will be good without wrong motivation. Listen to this. You will eat without gluttony, praise God. You will have such an amazing meal. And when you're done, you're gonna feel satisfied. You know when you eat too much, like, man, my mother-in-law does this. I am full up to here. You'll never feel that. You'll eat this amazing meal. Oh my gosh, it was incredible. And you're just like, hey guys, you wanna do it again? You can drink and never get intoxicated. You can eat without gluttony. You can admire beauty and express affection without lust. And then all will safely home where the character is just going into heaven. He reached heaven and he had a conversation with the king. And this is what he said. I feel like I'm drinking from the source of the stream. Does this mean I feel no more longing? And the king, the source replies, you will have the sweet longing of desire that can be fulfilled and shall be again and again and again. Heaven is not the absence of longing, but it's fulfillment. Heaven is not the absence of itches. It's the satisfying scratch with every itch. Oh man, I really want to go learn. I would love to learn how to play golf. Some of you need to learn how to fly fish on this planet. So I would love to go and taste that food. I would love to go and do that. You have the ability to do those things. I want to go work. I want to go build this house. I want to go do this thing. That's the reality of heaven. It's life abundantly and fully more than we live on this planet. The reality is this, is that what will we do in heaven? We're going to rest. Our desire for pleasure and the experience of joy comes directly from God's hands. He made our taste buds, adrenaline, sex drives, and the nerve endings that convey pleasure to our brains. Likewise, your imaginations and our capacity for joy and exhilaration were made by the very God we accuse of being boring. Are we so, so arrogant as to imagine that human beings came up with the idea of having fun? Well, rest. You're going to rest. Rest from your work. Look at Mark Buchanan said in his great book, Things Unseen. He said this, why won't we be bored in heaven? Because it's the only place where impulses to go beyond, to go home, are perfectly joined and totally satisfied. It's the one place where we constantly discovering where everything is always fresh and the possessing of a thing is as good as the pursuing of it. And yet, where we are fully home, where everything is as it ought to be, and where we find undiminished, the mysterious something we've never found down here. And this lifelong melancholy that hangs on us, this wishing we were somewhere else, somewhere, something else, and someone else vanishes too. Our craving to go beyond is always and fully realized. Our yearning for a home is once and for all fulfilled. The ah or deep satisfaction and the aha of delight, surprise, uh, delight, surprise meet, and they kiss. 
you and I will rest. Not just resting like, you know, in a dark room with this, the, the shades drawn. I was at the lake yesterday and we were laying out with the sun. I was in this new rocking chair. I God, I just lay like an old man. I just sat there and just enjoyed it. I was like, oh, right now I'm experiencing just a small sliver of the new heaven and the new earth. The sun was on my face, but I was getting burned. I needed more water because I was dehydrated. But it just was a moment, just a glimpse of what heaven will be like. In heaven, you and I will work like we were intended to work. We will have fulfillment in our work. We will, God, you know, God will give you responsibilities that you love to do. You love to build, you're gonna build. You love to, you love to, to draw, you're gonna draw. You love to create, you're gonna create. What God has wired you to do on this planet, you will love to do there without the hangups of a cranky old boss. <laughs> without the hangups of not getting paid enough and having to work too much. Look what Randy Alcorn says about this idea you and I will rest from our labors on earth. But that doesn't mean constant inactivity. We're told we'll be reigning with Christ and serving him. That means we'll have plenty to do. But heaven's labor will be refreshing, productive, and unthwarted without futility and frustration. Adam and Eve and their children were to extend the blessings of paradise throughout the entire world. Salvation, therefore, restores man to his original calling and purpose and guarantees the man's original mandate to exercise dominion under God over the whole earth and it will be fulfilled. God, uh, God placed man on earth to fill it, to rule it, to develop it to God's glory, but that plan has never been fulfilled. Should we therefore conclude that God's plan was ill-conceived, thwarted, or abandoned? Nope. Their conclusions to, to, uh, to do not uh, fit the character of an all-knowing and all-wise sovereign God. God determined from the beginning that he will redeem mankind and restore the earth. Why? So his original plan will be fulfilled. Maybe you'll make a table with Jesus or so with Dorcas, or make a tent with Paul. Or maybe Abraham will teach you how to live like a vagabond in the wilderness for a month. Maybe you'll spend time with all of these characters. Maybe you'll sit with one of these famous Christian artists or authors and they'll teach you how to play the guitar, paint. Our work will be fulfilling. Our work will be satisfying. As I end today, I know I'm going a little over my time, I want to end today with this last thought, just to engage your, your creativity. There's a beautiful book by C.S. Lewis, and the book, the book, the book is called Narnia. <laughs> and the very last book is called The Last Battle. There's a moment when all the characters in this story are walking with Aslan through the, 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 the beginning of their adventure into heaven. And I want to read this last part of the scripture, or this last part of this excerpt to you to help just stimulate the realities of what the new heaven and the new earth are like. Read it with me on the screen. Then they all went forward together, always westward, for that seemed to be the direction Aslan had meant when he cried out, further up and further in. Many other creatures were slowly moving that same way, but that grassy country was very wide and there was no crowding and it still seemed to be early and the morning freshness was in the air. They kept on stopping to look around, to look behind them, partly because it was so beautiful, but partly also because there was something about it which they could not understand. It is hard to explain how this sunlit land was different from the old Narnia, and as it would be to tell you how the fruits of that country taste. Perhaps you'll get some idea of it if you think of it like this. 
You may have been in a room in which there was a window that looked out on a lovely bay of the sea or a green valley that wound away among the mountains. And in the wall, that, that room opposite to the window there may have been a looking glass. And as you turned away from the window and you suddenly caught sight of that sea or that valley all over again in the looking glass and, and, and the sea and the mirror or the valley and the mirror were in one sense just the same as the real one, yet at the same time they were somehow different deeper, more wonderful, more like places in a story, and a story that you've never heard but very much want to know, the difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this, like a donkey. <laughs> Come further up. Come further in. Randy Alcorn ends it like this. So look out a window. Take a walk. Take, talk with your friend. Use your God-given skills to paint or draw or build a shed or write a book. But imagine it, all of it in its original condition. The happy dog with the wagging tail, not the, the snarling beast beat. Uh, beaten and starved like James' dog. Just kidding. Flowers unwilted. I'm just kidding. Your dog is not like that at all. I don't know. I thought it'd be funny. Obi's a very good dog. He's taking that personal. <laughs> the flowers unwilted, the grass un un undying, the blue sky without pollution, people smiling and joyful, not angry, depressed, and empty. If you're not in a particularly beautiful place, close your eyes and envision the most beautiful place you've been complete with palm trees and raging rivers, jagged mountains, waterfalls, or snowdrifts. Think of friends or family members who love Jesus and are with him now. Picture them with you, walking together in this place. All of you have powerful bodies, stronger than those of an Olympic de decathlete. You're laughing, playing, talking, reminiscing. You reach up to a tree to pick an apple or orange. You take a bite. It's so sweet that it's startling. You've never tasted anything so good. And now you see someone coming towards you. It's Jesus with a big smile on his face. You fall to your knees in worship and he pulls you up and embraces you. At last, you're with the person you were made for and the place you were made to be. And everywhere you go, there will be new people and places to enjoy, new things to discover. What's that smell? A feast. A party's ahead and you're invited. There's exploration and work to be done and you can't wait to get started as a new car is a better version of an old car with the same essential components that make a car a car. Four wheels, an engine, transmission, steering wheel. The new earth will be a far better version of the old earth but with the same essential components. Heaven will exist within the realm of new earth and will therefore be very earthly in its properties. And since it's not only the dwelling place of God, but it's fashioned by God to be populated by people, the present heaven is also people, friendly, designed with their God-given desires and interests in mind. We can learn about heaven by better understanding God. The more we know God, the more we know about his house and dwelling place. You say, Ryan, I want to just taste a little bit of heaven. Just know Jesus. I just want to know more, Ryan. I want, to, I want to experience this life after death. Okay, it starts with a relationship with Jesus. There's moments when you're going on a walk and you start to talk to the Lord and you feel his peace. That's heaven. There's moments when you're sitting on the lake and looking at the beautiful water. Those are heaven. 
little tastes of heaven all throughout your life are little glimpses of what God has reserved for those who confess Jesus Christ as Lord, accept him in their life, and give their lives to Christ. Why don't you close your eyes for a minute? I want to pray for you. Come on, every eye closed in this place just for a moment. And those online in the room, go on, every eye closed. Come on, you're in this place today. And you say, Ryan, I'd like to give my life to Jesus today. I'm not going to call you forward or embarrass you or anything like that. I just want to see who I'm praying for. Come on, you're in the room today. And you say, Ryan, I'd like to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to make a confession of faith to follow after him. Maybe you want to rededicate your life to Christ because you've been far from him. Come on, that's you today. I want you to put your hand in the air and just say, that's me, Ryan. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ today. Come on, anybody else in the room? Come on, if you're online today. Come on, let's pray. Father, we say thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that you've designed a place for us to dwell when we die. Thank you, God, that we can experience heaven on earth right now, abundant life on earth through a relationship with you. And God, as we go today, I pray for every person in the room, Lord, those who raise their hand, those online, we pray that, God, that they would make a fresh commitment to serve you with all their lives. And as we serve you today, God, I pray that we would see with our eyes and experience with our lives, Lord, the little taste of heaven you have reserved for us. Jesus, we love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.